Well, good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank, thank you very much uh, for joining us again. And I, I'm pleased to say that, that I'm still here as a minister, despite the First Minister's warning and rebuke to me earlier on about losing my job. And uh, both, uh, both Mr. Swinney and myself have survived the grillings, the respective grillings that we've received in the Scottish Parliament while you've been beavering away. They were fairly light grillings, I think, so, so that's good news. Uh, <laughs> uh, glad I haven't got his job. Um, it's, uh, th this is the session where you've the chance to put us on the spot, to ask your questions, to make points, uh, especially, of course, on the themes of uh, internationalization that we have been discussing in the workshop groups. So uh, I think it'd be helpful, given the loquacity of most of the uh, ministers and others who will be answering the questions, if we do take two or three questions at, at one time. This is usually when people are very shy about putting your hands up. So if uh, you want to be first and get in, then I would urge you to put your hands up quite quickly. And I will carry on speaking until I see some raised uh, hands. I can go on like this all day, you know. If, uh, Please if, put up your hands. If yes. you want. <laughs> I thought that might happen. Uh, and if uh, I'll take this lady here just in a moment and another couple of hands going up, then we'll take three questions and then ask the panel to answer them. It would be helpful if you could perhaps, uh, for the benefit of the audience, give your name and organisation or business. Yes. My name is Alison Grieve of Safe Tray Products. Um, we invent and manufacture products for um, both the global hospitality industry and also uh, the tablet computer industry. Um, I've spoken before about um, uh, the retention of intellectual assets in Scotland, so um, the protection of patents. We're a nation of innovators and engineers and great in life sciences and so on. But a big concern for small companies when exporting overseas is patent infringement. And uh, Scotland, being as it is, would be an ideal country for um, a previously talked about patent insurance scheme. And so I just wondered whether um, there was any movement on that because it's been brought up previously. Thank you very much, Alison. Another question the front here, and I'll take one more if there is one more, or if not, we'll just go to the panel. Uh, this is prompted by that first question. In our discussion session, patents were mentioned as one of the obstacles to innovation that uh, affect small businesses, and I wondered what your view was on w where we should use patents and where we shouldn't. Okay, and the last of the first group of three. There we are. Uh, chat with a loud voice. Sorry about that. Yeah, I've got a booming voice anyway, don't worry. Um, so um, I've just been informed by the chaps up to my right that Ecuador are carrying out an experiment at the moment where they've removed patents from the equation altogether um, and how that's driving an innovation economy there. Well, thank you very much for that, that uh, interesting and unexpected point. Um, Mr. Swinney? I think those three contributions... Uh, rather expose some of the dilemmas that we wrestle with um, on all these questions because in amongst them are you know very different views as to what is the importance of of, of patents um, I think at the outset I would say that uh, I, I'm I, I think I'd take an awful lot of persuading to go down the the Ecuadorian example um, I, let me say it in in, 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 in sort of civil service parlance we'll watch that development with interest <laughs> um, I think the, the patents are significant because they do they, they, they do comprise a significant part of the um, intellectual capacity that is invested by um, 
uh, entrepreneurs and innovators in core products. So, I, you know, the, my fundamental view is there is something worth protecting there. Um, and I think if we see, if, if, if there are issues about um, the insurance arrangements which act as an impediment to uh, companies being able to confidently um, export to wider markets, then we certainly should look at that very carefully and determine if there's things that we could do to, to, to support the market uh, in that respect. I think we have to look at this issue very much within the context of what um, you know, what is a, a, a what is a potential barrier to international business activity? If the the worry that if you go into a market you're going to lose some of the control and the strength of the product as a consequence, that is clearly going to be a barrier and will contradict the general message that we are uh, taking forward with the company basis Scotland of encouraging much greater participation within international market activity. But if there's a if there's a way of assisting in removing obstacles in that respect, then we'd certainly be very uh, willing to consider what could be done there. Just, just before bringing in uh, Dr Lena Wilson on this topic, it'd be helpful if there are other questions, if people could signify, and that would help the, uh, those with the microphones to get to you. Um, Lena. Thank you, Fergus. Um, just briefly, I had the pleasure of hosting the session which Justine fantastically facilitated uh, on innovation, where the whole uh, Ecuador example came up and the, you know, do patents or not and how helpful uh, they are. That was in the context of looking at open innovation and it was in the context of looking at companies in particularly emerging technology sectors collaborating and the notion that if you just hold on to patents, that patents themselves don't equal innovation and they don't necessarily equal exploitation and success. So it was a kind of horses for courses. So maybe as we're developing parts of a supply chain or component parts for a technology, for example, say the marine sector, then actually we might want a more open approach. If we have a world-leading technology that we want Scotland to absolutely capitalise on with one company owning that, then that might be another matter for patent protection. So it was a really interesting discussion that there's absolutely no right or wrong, there's no, there's no yes or, or no, but it was in the context of the importance of open innovation and collaboration to company success and to the, a nation's success in terms of competitiveness. Okay, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you very much indeed to, to John and Lena. And I've got a gentleman here and, if I, and also in the front. Yes, go ahead uh, and then Alex. at the back. We'll take, we'll take three and then go to the panel again if that's all right. Yes. Um, my name's Pete Higgins from UA Technology. It's just probably to follow on from this discussion. We, we ourselves are, are looking for protection from patents. Our investors say, what kind of protection have you got? Because they want that insurance as well. But as Alan has, Alison has said, the insurance, the costs of the insurance policy to protect these patents if they're ever challenged are astronomical. One thing that could be looked at, and the thing, the, the, the tax arrangements in the UK for the patent box arrangement is fantastic as an opportunity. I would quite happily forego some of the tax benefits further down the line if there was some assistance for the insurance costs to protect our patents now. Right. It's a huge, huge cost. Thank, thank you very much. I think that's a point, a very practical point, well made. Sandy down here. Sandy Dobby from Chemical Sciences Scotland. Competitive advantage at the end of the day is what drives success. And in Scotland, we are going to get in the chemical sector a significant competitive advantage with the 300 million investment at Grangemouth to use US shale gas as a feedstock 
to make chemicals and other places in Europe are going to be severely disadvantaged by that. That's the short term and, and mid term, but what's the long term? Are we going to exploit shale gas here in Scotland? Okay, um, well I, I can probably help out with that, I think. And there's a question at the back, I think. Uh, Yes, the lady at the back. Hi there, Connie Young from Inspiring Changemakers Leadership. Um, my question is not technical in any way about patents or shale gas. Um, it's actually about whether or not, I, I was looking again at the title of today and internationalization, and the first part of that is interns. And from the workshop that I was in, I was wondering whether, it, would it be possible to make more use of the Global Scots Network to provide internships and mentoring opportunities, short-term placements, not just for um, students and young people, but also for business owners and business leaders to encourage them to take that bigger leap into the international markets. Just a thought. Well, thank, thank you very much for raising an extremely important point. Um, with regard to the, the shale gas questions, plainly we, we are aware of uh, events at Grangemouth and watching closely and very much welcome the opportunity to provide a, a cheaper feedstock in the backdrop that I understand, Sandy, from uh, fairly ex extensive meetings with some of your members, uh, uh, including most recently Exxon and Shell at uh, their five operations, the wet and dry gas operations and ethylene operations there, that the competitive advantage that the USA enjoys over uh, high energy users, particularly the chemical sector uh, in USA as opposed to Europe, is now of a factor of four to one. In other words, the energy costs for comparable plants in the USA are four times cheaper than for comparable plants in Scotland and indeed Europe. And that is before the application and implementation of the Industrial Emissions Directive, which will impose substantial costs, we suspect, on the industry, although that is being handled by SEPA with the industry, as you know. So in the long term, we have in the Scottish Government uh, taken the view that our approach to, to unconventional gas should be evidence-led. We haven't gone down the route of having a moratorium because we think we have to look at the science look at the practice, and we have therefore set up an expert group which will report reasonably soon, which will cover the environmental, the economic, the geological and legal issues uh, on this matter. But plainly, I think uh, you have, you have uh, raised this argument uh, with us, raised this point with us privately, and we need to make sure that over the long term our industry can be competitive. And the stark uh, contrast between energy costs in the USA and Europe is something that I think we all need to grapple with and address whilst proceeding on an evidence basis. I don't know if Mr. Swinney wants to add to, to that. Or, um, if we go on to the second, uh, uh, I think the point about the patents was, was well made and we, we will note that and uh, it's a well made point, but I think we've covered can I, that. Can I just say, say just a, a point about the, the, on Peter's raise. I think there's a, it's a, it's a it's the patent box um, a structure is a very interesting and very welcome structure as to how to uh, attract and motivate investment and I, I, I'm very much persuaded by the opportunities within the tax system you know, to find a way of incentivising investment 
in research and development. Activity of the patent box is one example. There's a variety of uh, measures that can be taken through R&D tax credits and um, we're very open to these uh, ideas. Uh, obviously, in the current environment, we don't have competence over those um, areas of, of, of flexibility, but we're very much persuaded by the arguments that surround them. The one other point I'd say is that your, your explanation of being, or your comment about being prepared to trade long-term benefits for a bit of short-term assistance is a very practical, you know, we don't often get suggestions of that uh, helpful, practical balancing of the books type. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and, but I think it's, it illustrates just how we can, in the kind of course of discussions like this, we can actually unearth practical propositions that we can explore uh, that, that, that can actually bring genuine benefits to, to, to business. So thank you for that. We're happy to pursue that with Pete later on and uh, uh, in person, if that would assist. Um, perhaps I could bring in and call uh, to answer the uh, point about interns and, and the points raised by Connie, Connie Young. Thanks for that. Thank you, Connie. And uh, I mean, certainly the Global Scott Network um, is a vast network. We've got 630 people in that network all over the world. A hundred of them, incidentally, are actually based in Scotland. So the interesting thing about Global Scots and helping that whole area of, of young people, internships and placements into businesses works two ways because many of our Global Scots overseas are working in large corporates who take young people from Scotland into those businesses. A lot of that works in close collaboration with the Saltire Foundation. Um, and that's been extremely successful and has been growing year on year. And I think the second point is about, you know, back in Scotland, what about young people from overseas um, and, you know, taking on internships and placements here in Scotland? What we love to ask Scottish companies is to get really specific about what they're looking for from our Global Scots. The more specific you can be about what you need, if you need a young person from a specific part of the world because that's an opportunity for your business to grow, then absolutely let's utilise the Global Scott Network as a tool that can help enable that to happen. So I think there's a two-way flow here that we can use um, much more than we're currently doing, but they're absolutely open for that, our Global Scots. Thanks, Anne. Derek Mackay? Ministerial uh, portfolio of local government and planning doesn't necessarily touch on, on Global Scott, but I had such a fantastic discussion at the, the group that I was uh, chairing that I wanted to just share a bit more about that because the potential of of Global Scot was seen as immense, not just that each Scot around the world that may or may not hold senior office, but just the potential of sharing networks and knowledge right across uh, the world and the globe was, was really realised at that group. And so I think there's some excellent examples of how that, that can be used to, to collaborate uh, right across the world between the private and public sector. So I think there's fantastic potential in that Global Scot approach at low cost, Mr Swinney, at low cost, uh, as well as uh, great effectiveness using uh, methods such as social media as well. So there's great potential there. Well, it's actually at zero cost because the Global Scots don't get paid anything. So uh, <laughs> 654 of them, is that right? Around, around that order. And uh, when I was in Houston at the OTC recently, uh, 100 meetings were arranged for one-to-one -one sessions with Global Scots from SMEs learning how to penetrate international markets from people who had done it. So you can't get better advice than that. And it's great that they cost the same as Scotland's leading tourist attraction, the Loch Ness Monster. So uh, are there any other questions, ladies and gentlemen, just the last round of, of three. Uh, we've got one down here. 
Yes, sir. Uh, hello, thanks. Um, mine was really uh, picking up on what, something I think the First Minister said this morning. Um, and we're, sorry, Brian Johnson, I'm the regional chair at Dumfries and Galloway College. Uh, and I'm interested in SMEs, and I think only 13% of SMEs export, and that was in comparison with, I think, 30% in Norway. And that's at odds, really, with the dominance of SMEs and how they contribute to the economy nationally. And I'm particularly interested, I think, in the definition of SME because the reality is in rural Scotland, most of the businesses are actually micro-businesses. So they're not just, uh, is it is, is a pram for 250 employees. In fact, a number of very good little businesses are employing five or 10 people. And I, I dread to think how little exporting they're doing. And I would just like to hear the panel's thoughts on that and, uh, and the way forward. Okay, thank you, Brian. Thank you. Are there another couple of last questions? Uh, Raise your hand now or forever lose the opportunity till the next time. Yes. Uh, David. Hello, David Campbell from Alberturn. Uh, the, the question I have is we've heard something today of, of setting ambitious targets for uh, export activity. Uh, how do the panel think we can take that forward into measurement and then making sure that we actually are taking the right actions as companies and as government to actually achieve those targets? Okay, thanks. And... Uh, one last question from the front. What, one of the key exports that we haven't discussed much is actually in education, the students who come from abroad to study here. And uh, one of the difficulties we're having there is it's more difficult for them to come to Scotland than it has been in past. And I wondered what you, thoughts you had on that. Uh, Whom's the Yusuf? Yeah, um, thank you for, for the questions. Actually, I'll try to touch on, on, on two of them, but just on the last question that was asked, um, uh, you know, it has been a very difficult environment. I remember the first time I travelled to India uh, as a government minister, uh, a very friendly uh, nation that it is, every single question was jabbing the finger at me, saying, why are you stopping us from coming to your country? Well, I said, well, actually, uh, that's not what we're trying to do. Uh, now, obviously, you know, immigration uh, policy is controlled by the government uh, in London, and we've proposed, along with the universities, the Institute of Directors, the Federation of Small Businesses, uh, to have a, 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 an immigration policy that meets our needs. Uh, and for a country that has a, a decreasing a population historically, although that started to increase in the last few years, historically decreasing population uh, for a de country with the demographics that we have. Uh, we need high-skilled immigration coming to this country. End of, we need high-skilled graduates, uh, uh, the cream of the crop coming to our universities and to our further education colleges and institutes uh, as well. So we, we want to, for example, reintroduce the post-study uh, work visa. Now, in the constitutional setup that we're in at the moment, we'll keep banging the drum uh, as much as we possibly can for sensible immigration policies along with our partners, uh, like the universities, like the colleges, like the Institute of Directors, and so on and so forth. Uh, but I, I suppose I, I would be honest with you and say there's not much flexibility uh, that I've seen uh, in, in, in that regard. But you're absolutely correct. It makes no sense for me at all. I don't see any sense in bringing some of the best minds of the world to Scotland, uh, spend four years uh, going through our universities, three years going through our universities, through our colleges, and then just sending them off you know, back to their own countries or somewhere else. Uh, we can be using and should be using that uh, talent where it's here. Just in the first question that was asked by Brian uh, as well, uh, one of the points that was mentioned by, by Colin from the Federation of Small Businesses here was his urge and his plea that 
people go out, uh, be it public agencies, be it our global Scots or based here in Scotland, go out into those micro-businesses, as you call them. And, uh, you know, he made the point that, uh, okay, you might have uh, a guy who's got a chippy and, you know, he doesn't know, he, he's not looking to export his uh, steak and ale pie uh, to, to, to China, but you never know. They might well be, and there might be an opportunity there. So if we can get into those micro-businesses and I think use that internal global Scott network that's based here in Scotland uh, to go to 10 businesses in their region, uh, pop in and face-to-face -face contact uh, is, is absolutely needed. And just a very, very final point is this teaching entrepreneurship uh, is important at a young age, and you'd mentioned that point. And uh, I had mentioned the anecdote when I was in Stanford uh, University uh, as part of Government uh, Scotland Week uh, programme. Uh, few of our universities have a relationship with Stanford University and the photonics, the lasers side of things. And when they were going through the slides of what they teach in the physics department, uh, one of the slides went through all the modules, the 14 odd modules that they teach. And so it was applied physics, theoretical physics, lasers, photonics, and the last one was entrepreneurship. I said to him, wait a minute, how come you've got entrepreneurships in the physics department? He said, it doesn't matter if you're law, your medicine, your uh, science, Everybody here gets a patent lawyer, I know it's a touchy subject, uh, gets in some of the best entrepreneurial minds and teaches them from day one. And he said, actually, we're late in doing this. He said, we should be doing this in the high schools. We should be doing it in the elementary schools, he said. Uh, and so maybe there's a lesson in there. And we're doing some of that already through government initiatives, but perhaps there's more that we can be doing in that respect. And the last word to Lena Wilson. Just very briefly, we heard it this morning. Brewdog started exporting when they were a micro-business. They employed less than 10 people and they didn't let that get in the way. They didn't know they were going to be employing 400 people seven years later. Uh, they employed less than 10 people. In fact, I think they had about four or five people with their first exports. See lots of examples of that. You're absolutely right, particularly about rural Scotland. But actually in rural Scotland, we find some of our best craft premium provenance that is highly exportable. And with what we have now in terms of business models, you know, that IBM advert years ago where the person was answering the phone, they were doing the warehouse, but nobody knew because it was, they were on the web. Uh, social, you know, the, the kind of digital infrastructure that we have now, people don't need to know. So this notion that a micro business can't be an international business, we have to dispel that myth, particularly of their premium provenance and high knowledge and high quality. Well, thank you very much indeed to all the panellists and to the audience for your contributions, uh, both here and earlier in the workshops. Uh, I should make it uh, clear that for those of you, especially those of you who haven't attended one of the National Economic Forum before, that uh, ministers get feedback afterwards from the conversation from each of the workshop discussions that have taken place. We then consider what uh, we need to do going forward to action any of specific suggestions that have been made or points such as the one that Peter made that we should perhaps investigate and analyse. So I want to reassure you that these discussions are discussions that, uh, that can and often do lead to influencing, shaping and formulating government policy and they're a great advantage to ourselves uh, as uh, your government ministers and heads of the, the enterprise agencies who, who have uh, really added to the discussions by coming along today. So I'm particularly grateful for Lena and Anne in stepping in for ministers who through other engagements weren't able to join us today. Now, there is in every government-sponsored uh, meeting uh, a moment where there is a shameless plug, and that moment has now arrived. Uh, and therefore, I would like, as Minister for Tourism, shamelessly to plug the opportunity that all of you and your families can have to have a marvellous day out at Bannockburn Live, which uh, will be one of the most splendid and most enjoyable occasions that your family could 
ever attend, taking place on Saturday the 28th and Sunday the 29th of June. I have the leaflet here if anybody wishes it. It's £20 per person, adult, up to a family of four, £55, which is excellent value. You can see the clan reenactments. You can see the Highland Food Village. You can listen to Dougie McLean, Julie Fowlis, Shore Patrol, or eight or nine bands, none of which I've actually heard of. And, <laughs> and uh, I will be wearing the first outing. I will be resplendent in the first outing of my new kilt. So that perhaps might put you off, but it's a big field, so you, won't, you might be spared that uh, uh, ghastly experience. So please do buy your tickets to this excellent event. It's a one-off event. It will never happen again. It will be truly, truly tremendous. And with that shameless plug over, it's uh, my great pleasure to introduce to you the man that uh, looks after the, the money in Scotland. And he can't print money in the money cave. And he can't borrow money, as they do down south, freely, endlessly, and huge quantities. He actually has to balance the books. Isn't that a thing? And he has balanced the books, and he has stewarded the public finances in Scotland very successfully indeed. I think just about everybody would say that's not an easy task. It involves lots of challenges, lots of difficulties, but he always does it with a smile. So it's my great uh, pleasure to introduce to you John Swinney, Cabinet Secretary for Finance. There's not always a smile, Fergus, I can tell you, um, but uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And again, my apologies, I wasn't able to be here as I would normally be for the whole of the session, but the Finance Committee uh, required me earlier on uh, today. Um, and can I just say on the question of Bannockburn Live, not only has the Swinney family bought uh, tickets, so I, I didn't know there was a, a kilt threat from Fergus, I will have to watch out for that. Uh, I've also signed up to the Bannockburn 710k race this Sunday which was supposed to be 700 mad people running around that area um, for a 10K, and it's apparently over 1,000 now. So um, there'll be even more money raised for charity than was originally expected out of that. So uh, I was out training for that at uh, 6 o'clock this morning, just to make you all feel as if you've not had a hard enough day as I've had already. Can I just, uh, well, first of all, thank everybody for coming along today and just reiterate the point that Fergus made there, that, that there is a a very close connection between the contents of the National Economic Forum and the formulation of government policy, because we, you know, we, we set the topics here on subjects where we are keen to explore new areas of activity or areas where the government needs to do more to expand the interventions that we can make uh, in a meaningful and effective fashion to support the development of the Scottish economy. So therefore, an event focused on internationalisation reflects very much um, a central part of what we're contemplating within government as to what can be the next steps that we take to try to reinforce the development of the Scottish economy. And I want to link that with a discussion that um, we kicked off just last week in the Strategic Forum, which brings together all of our enterprise agencies with the Funding Council and Skills Development Scotland. It's designed to be a, a forum in which we draw together very sharply the economic priorities of the government and the agencies that take forward our agenda um, within Scotland, where we essentially were wrestling with, um, well, we actually started the discussion with two distinct topics. One was innovation and one was internationalisation. And after about half an hour of discussion and debate, we realised that we were talking about one and the same thing. That we had to find a way of properly connecting and involving 
um, the whole of the company base in the whole act of um, innovating and creating new developments and new opportunities for growth. And if we were to get the maximum benefit of all of those, then the maximum benefits would be realised if we were trading in an international environment. So to relate that to the point that Brian Johnson raised about the SME community in Scotland, we quite literally have to make sure that our entire company base, SMEs included, micro businesses, to, 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 the, to the smallest business entities that we've got, that they are thinking about what they can contribute towards the process of innovation and internationalisation within the Scottish economy. Because it's, you know, it'll never be emphatic enough if we leave it all to the large companies of Scotland. It has to percolate right across the board. We cannot say that um, it's, you know, it's really only for the, the companies that have got five people. I can think of companies that I have visited in the, the last couple of weeks that have two employees and they're exporting around the globe and, um, you know, and, and, and great achievements uh, under the belt. So we, we have to encourage that broad um, ownership of the whole concept of innovation. And we have to make innovation sound like something that is done in the ordinary routine business of business development as opposed to something that you must leave for, let's call it a fancy process of research and development. Innovation can simply be about constantly focusing on how we do things more effectively, how we improve products, how we do things in a better fashion. And the, and that links very closely to the realisation of our international ambitions and, and, and David uh, Campbell raised the point about the realisation of ambitious um, export targets. Um, we set some targets for the development of the food and drink sector that were to be achieved by 2017. Because the food and drink sector in Scotland absolutely got its act together and drove improvement and development and innovation and, and, and international, international business activity so fast, we reached those targets three years early. And they were big, big targets. Uh, and we've set major targets to increase our export proposition. And I think part of what we're now wrestling with and what this conversation today has been helpful about is that question about how we properly motivate and embrace um, the entire business community of Scotland, not just the business community, but our academic institutions, because our academic institutions are strongly involved in the whole process of international activity, some of it international business activity, um, to, uh, to, to strengthen the proposition that Scotland can take to the international marketplace. So what's been discussed here today, I think is very helpful in giving some further weight to the thinking that's going on within government and our agencies uh, about how we weave together what will be the, the core of our economic and business strategy in the years to come, which will be a very determined effort to intensify our focus on innovation and internationalisation in our business and company activity. What's one of the other key and essential ingredients in that process? The other key and essential ingredient is collaboration. Because if we're all in our wee compartments, we're not going to achieve all that can be achieved. Yesterday morning, I um, had a, a discussion, a fascinating discussion, with what I would call um, the big data set of Scotland. These are the, um, the, the, the innovation centres that the Funding Council has been funding and which have been established in collaboration with our enterprise agencies, looking at how we use the handling of uh, major sources of data to improve 
the economic advantage and economic proposition within Scotland. And around the table were about um, 25 people from all these different organisations, some of them IT specialists, some of them business development specialists, some of them data specialists. And it was a fascinating discussion and the core point that came out of that was that we would achieve a great deal more if we could establish the connections between different individuals, parties and institutions around that table. And so will be the case in terms of what we can achieve on innovation and internationalisation if we can properly establish the connections that will encourage individual businesses to uh, collaborate with others, to encourage individual business organisations to collaborate with other businesses, and uh, to encourage academic institutions to be part of this mix into the bargain. So innovation, internationalisation and collaboration, um, watch out for that emerging as the central part of the government's uh, economic strategy in the period ahead. Uh, so with those words, can I thank you very much for your contribution today. Um, ministers will look very carefully at what's been talked about today in concert with our economic agencies. Uh, part of what we've tried to do with the National Economic Forum over time is not to have a sort of flitting about of subjects. It's to actually focus on a, a very clear agenda that runs through all of what we're trying to achieve. So we'll come back to some of these questions in due course. Thank you for giving up your morning to participate in this event. And I hope over um, lunchtime, uh, there's the opportunity for some of that collaboration to start that I've just spoke about. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.